and you thought vinyl left. You're listening to the Vinyl Community Podcasts. Everything vinyl. Buddies, welcome back. Got another conversation, inspiration, maybe some would say a constipation of thought coming here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. I am joined for this conversation by the one, the only, the pride of the Northern Region, Rob, YouTube channel, Northern Revolutions. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Living the dream. Living the dream, my friend. So We need, we need better dreams. We need better dreams. <laughs> true story. True story. Uh, so the reason we're having this conversation is we're both obviously devilishly handsome fellows. But outside of that, uh, we're both fans of the musician Rodriguez, Sixto Rodriguez. And unfortunately, time ran out. Time ran out. And uh, so the hourglass caught him uh, a couple days after we're filming this. Age 81. And what a life. What a life. Uh, Rob, for the uninitiated, how would you describe the music and and the story of Rodriguez to, to somebody who has never heard of him? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. Um, he is. Uh, I would describe it in two ways. I would say that it's almost a fairy tale story, uh, and he's kind of the. I might get some heat for this. Kind of like an unsung Bob Dylan in terms of, you know, politically motivated folk music. But uh, the ride that his musical career took, I mean, you couldn't write that. You couldn't no, write that. That's no, true. And actually, the Dylan comparison, I mean, if you just happen to Google Sixto Rodriguez or even like stuff in some of his obituary stuff this last week I was reading, I mean, there's a clear line of people just go right to the Dylan piece. Because, you know, for a while in the early 70s, when I guess Dylan went electric, right? The big, oh my gosh, what's he doing? Um, they were looking for the next Dylan. And the irony was, well, you kind of had a guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it slipped through his fingers like you know sand sand through your fingers right yeah. and it's interesting because kind of what you're talking about the story is is just right up there with the music and for me you know i didn't even hear of him until the documentary obviously me neither. for sugar man right right um you know in, in terms of parallels with my record collecting you know i, I kind of picked it back up in about 2010 so the documentary comes out 2012, but they had been filming this for a long time. There was funding issues and and uh, and and so forth. But that was kind of my indoctrination into like the story. And what you're talking about is exactly spot on, Rob. Is that the story is like it's it's almost unreal to believe. You know, like even the best screenplay writers in Hollywood on strike right now. But if they weren't on strike it would be really hard pressed to come up with something like this, this wild, like for your, from your, like when you saw the documentary, I'm assuming you saw it probably like I did, like at home, heard about it, you know, obviously is nominated for best documentary 2013 It won. So, uh, so, so talk about like how Rodriguez and the story kind of came to you. So, um, should, should we cold note it for folks that have no idea what we're talking about? Just give them a, yeah, yeah. Let's let's, let's 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 all get back. Let's put a pin in that one. So yeah, let's circle back to there. Otherwise, some folks shouldn't go. I don't know what these guys are talking about. <laughs> We're terrible at podcasting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So the, the 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 high elevator pitch or high elevator version of this story is is really interesting in the sense that 
late 60s, early 70s, particularly 1970, Rodriguez uh, is on the Sussex label and issues his first album called Cold Fact. And, you know, like a lot of artists back then or even artist period, signed to a deal. And there's a lot of conjecture, and maybe we'll get into that too, about was he signed somewhere else before he signed with Sussex? But right. another story for another time. Right. But, but you know, he puts out this album, 1970 Cold Fact. According to the head of the label, who I even, he even said it in the documentary, it sold six copies in the United States. I don't know about that. I'm I not, think he I'm might be lowballing that. But. Well, well and, and side note, you, you come to find out later that uh, Rodriguez ends up suing him for royalties. So you can see why maybe this guy was a little uh, downplaying. Right. right. Album comes out, doesn't get any kind of push, notoriety, distribution, what have you. Uh, also isn't helped by the fact that when Rodriguez tours or tries touring on the album, he's extremely shy and he plays with his back to the crowd. Yeah. So that, that's not, yep. that's never, it's never helpful for building a following. No, no, no. Uh, but he gets another label because Sussex had like Bill Withers, uh, Dennis Coffey. They had several artists on the label and I, and obviously they, they thought enough of his music from cold fact. They gave him another album. So a year later comes out with another album coming from reality, um, yeah. arguably. And I think we feel the same on this. Nice, but not as like impactful as Cold Fact. Right. Probably sold three copies, according to Clarence Avant, uh, right. the head of the label. But uh, and then you know he gets. I, I don't know if he's dropped. I'm assuming he was dropped. Is probably what happened. I would think so. Right. So then you know music industry is done with him. So according to the documentary, and this is where the story kind of gets interesting. He just kind of recedes back into obscurity. Well, he, not, he, he carries on his life doing construction in in the ghettos of Detroit. Right. So he just goes back to normal life. And a lot of the themes and topes that he sung about in his in his stories were, you know, the streets and drug game and poverty and social issues and all kinds of stuff. Just goes back into his world. Now, one part they don't tell you in the documentary is that he actually was still playing music very lightly. In fact, he went to Australia in, I think, 79 and, yep. and played like a small run of shows. And then like back in 81, he actually got to know the guys from Midnight Oil who, yep. you know, ended up, you know, like forming like a, a loose friendship with, et cetera. But the real crux of, of the story is he, 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 you know, he thinks that's it for him. He's even said in right. interviews, like I thought Australia in the late seventies was my high watermark. It was, well, it was a flash in the pan and that was it. Right. And he was fine. He was like, yeah, it was great. Went back yep. to doing construction. He ran for local politics, a normal line. So right. meanwhile, in the 70s, somehow one of his records gets over to South Africa. And you know, South Africa is mired in its own political instability with the apartheid movement and so forth. Um, but for whatever reason, however those – and I think they talk about in the documentary, but the records that first got over there spread like wildfire amongst the youth and, and become kind of like an adopted uh, – anthem like a lot of the a lot of the yeah the, it resonated with them I mean, they found some some message in that music that they are aligned with their their strife i guess yeah and, and what's interesting is that you know because of the way how apartheid and how the government was kind of like really think about like communist china like they control everything the messaging what comes in what goes out etc um even in fact talk about in the documentary some of the albums that were played on the radio actually the government mandated that certain tracks were scratched through yep. on the vinyl, right? And so they were yep. unplayable. So anyway, so in their mind in South Africa, the the young people in particular are like enamored with Rodriguez and want you know they can't get more information, but they just assume he's huge, right? He he's got to be huge. He's got to be Dylan. He's he's got to be as big as Dylan. 
Right. Meanwhile, not the case, right? And like he's right. laying brick, he's breaking down buildings, he's running for he he went back to school in like eighty one and got a philosophy degree. Like just living a normal life. And this so, is thirty years pre Google, so you couldn't find it out if you wanted. Oh, to. right, 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 right. So so outside of his little dalliance with the Australia uh, run of shows, which they don't really talk about in the documentary, that's why we're bringing it all together. It's a better yeah. story if he if he's just straight in obscurity, which I understand. Of course. But all that said. He just lives his normal life. So, you know, through the the passion of the fans in South Africa, there's like these crazy stories. Like he killed himself on stage. He, lit, he poured gasoline on himself and lit himself on fire. All kinds shot of himself. Right, right, right. I mean, just wild stuff. So it's added to the lore of right. Rodriguez and what's happened to him. Um, come to find out, I guess it was mid-90s, a record store in South Africa just kind of got a wild hair. And he's like, you know, I'm going to find out what happened to this guy. So you partner with a journalist and save you, you know, definitely watch the movie, but long and short of it is the internet's starting. So they started a webpage looking, searching for Sugar Man, like literally searching yep. for Sugar Man. Uh, and Sixto's daughter sees it, blah, 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 put him in contact. He literally calls him. They said it was like getting a call. It's like Elvis calling like, hello, it's Elvis. It's like, hello. And, that, and that's the one point of context folks is that, allegedly, and I don't know the, the numbers to back this up, but allegedly for the bulk of the 70s, Rodriguez outsold the Beatles and Elvis in South Africa. Well, they sold 500,000 records at least. I mean, that's that's the number I kept coming to as I was kind sure. of like trying to learn more about it. And, and we'll come back to the royalties part of that because that's also a fascinating part, oh, yeah. of, like a post part of the story. Yep. Um, so anyway, he so yeah, so he ends up calling these guys who are looking for him. They connect said hey we gotta get you to south africa like you play some shows and he's like oh sure you know okay no big deal he's probably thinking the australian experience in the late 70s is like cool i'm gonna play a theater with 100 people right and so the guy goes to south africa and it's like literally like elvis has entered the stratosphere like people are mobbing him on the streets he goes like it was it's akin to the beatles landing at jfk before the ed sullivan show exactly and he's like enamored he's like blown away he's like i had because they had told him like you're really a big deal in south africa and i'm sure he's just like yeah sure 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 right Sure as shit. I mean, literally, he shows up to one of the venues. It's like a uh, athletic stadium. There's wall to wall. They're singing all the songs with him. Like it's a very fairy tale kind of situation to Absolutely. know that like his music had made such an impact on on the country, a country, a full country of people, and he had no idea. He's you know getting up and doing his nine to five and and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, a terrific documentary. You know, they, they did all that in the nineties. And I think he went to South Africa, like 96, 98, somewhere in there. Oh the film had such funding issues that it didn't get distributed until gosh, late 2010, yeah. I think it was. And by then he had already like went and toured South Africa again, you know, based on that initial response. And he went back to Australia and stuff far before the documentary literally hit the masses. And then it was like a rocket ship again, not that he, you know, became a superstar or anything like that, but the documentary. Well, no, but among, among music fans, a lot of people know him and he's toured the world for the last 10 years. Right. Yeah. Years. It was, it was, a, it was a propulsion that got him out to the masses, especially yeah. in the States. People are like, how did we, and again, it's, it's like we were talking about in the open, like how did, how did this happen? Because, yeah. you know, you would think that such talent, would not be stopped or, you know, it would just, it would find a way somehow. And the fact that literally in his own home country, he was anonymous. Even there was a guy, I think he's in the violent films. He was in Rodriguez um, backing band with the midnight oil guys when he toured the States for the first or post documentary. 
and he lived in like Wisconsin and he's like a, a, a music architect or archaeologist by his own admission. And even he said like, I didn't even know who Rodriguez is and I know all kinds of stuff. So, you know, and I was a state away. We never heard of this guy. He's in Detroit. Never even heard of this guy. So anyway, yeah. fascinating story. Highly recommend to check out the documentary, but all that said, really it, it's cool that he, he got at least any degree of success it stinks. It's kind of like Charles Bradley is another musician I really enjoy. Didn't hit him till late in life, but maybe that's just kind of the way it was. And in fact, even his own death <laughs> was overshadowed by Robbie Robertson. Robbie Robertson, the same. You know what name. I mean? And so we, we, I yeah. think you had sent me a text, and you're like, "Oh yeah, Robbie Robertson died now." And I was like, "That just makes complete sense. That literally yep. Rodriguez can't even have a day." <laughs> yep. <laughs> to lead to lead the news in certain uh, areas of. Rodriguez does no Robbie Robertson guarantee got that lead and oh by the way so it's almost like you know, perverted uh, the universe wake works in those ways you know what I mean as in life it goes in death yeah but uh, well tell us uh, Rob what you think about and and we can kind of get into this so you see that so we'll circle back so documentary comes out you like me hadn't even heard of this guy nope probably watched it at home probably heard it one best you know so so how did the documentary come to you and then what did you think post haste of the watching that so uh, it came to me i've got a very good friend brian mcgee lives in the same town that i live in he and i went to high school together we've been friends for 30 years um we're both record collecting guys and um you know we're always trying to turn each other on to new music and we're both the two guys that tend to listen to stuff that other people haven't heard before not because we're trying to be obscure but that's just the kind of the lane we're in right so um, one day he calls me up and he goes, man, you gotta, you gotta watch this documentary searching for sugar, man. I go, never heard of it. He goes, it's fantastic. It's about this, this folk singer in the seventies, complete flop, huge in South Africa. The rumor was he killed himself on stage. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You got to watch it. And he goes, I think you'll like the music. I'm like, Cool. That was all the endorsement I needed. I I think at the time it was streaming on one of the streaming platforms. This is probably a year after it came out. So I watched it and I was literally, I just, at the end of the movie, I was just sitting there going, holy shit. Uh, uh, in, in two regards, um, the story, number one, it's just, as I said at the beginning, you can't write that. Right. Like if you wrote that, someone would go, whatever. Um, and I actually really, really enjoyed the music. So I'm like, well, I've got I've to get the music. So I downloaded uh, Cold Fact and Coming From Reality um, and listened to them a lot. Sure. Uh, and then started my vinyl quest. And that was even before the reissues were ready, readily available. You didn't see them in every shop like you do now. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while to actually track down the records. But, um, yeah, I just... I'm not, we made the Dylan analogy before. I'm not a Dylan fan. It, it doesn't do it for me. But um, just something about Rodriguez music, there was a certain simplicity to it. Um, but it was still musically very good. Um, you know, I don't connect with the sort of the thematic content, you know, poverty and strife and, and, and you know, drug dealers on the corner, you know, I'm, I'm middle-class and I live in, in suburbia, you know, white suburbia. I can't, mm -hmm. I don't connect emotionally to that, 
but I connected musically to it and I just thought it was, it was unlike anything I'd really, I mean, I certainly didn't have anything like that in my collection. So um, really, really dug it. Well, and, and one thing that I found after watching the documentary myself, kind of like you, I watched it after it came out and, and uh, especially music documentaries, I'm always hit or miss. Like they got to grab me within yep. the first half hour or yep. I'm just kind of like, whatever. And that one did. And exactly, exactly what you said. Like I couldn't personally connect with some of the, the, the themes of what he was singing about the love stuff. And all that was, yeah, you know, I can get, I can get with that. Sure. But you know, the poverty again, I'm like you, a suburbia guy, but just the quality, you know, I was even, I was playing it for my son recently and I was just like, this listen how simple this is. Right. It's simple, but yet it's, it's powerful and in, in what he's saying. Right. And, yep. uh, and even like, I think it was, uh, I think it's the second song, um, only good for conversation on cold fact. You've got Dennis coffee jamming in there, playing some fuzz guitar and, right. you know, like obviously Dennis coffee had his own career kind of coming out of that. But just to think about, You've got Rodriguez writing songs. You got contributors like Dennis Coffey, literally killing it with the fuzz guitar on that second track. Um, but it, it's just great songwriting. Like any way you cut it, if it was seven, 1970, 1980, 2023, and I think that's like timeless, right? Um, well, that's exactly it. That could be re- Cold Fact could be released today as an indie record, and people go. Yeah, that's a that's a great indie record. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't think it's. Yeah, of course, it's got a little bit of. But you know, even the the arranging, the arrangements, the, the orchestral stuff he was doing was like, especially for an artist who now we'll we'll we'll, we'll, di- we'll diverge off of the the documentary a little bit here because there was some stuff because he had apparently been signed by another label in Detroit prior to signing with Sussex mm-hmm. and. Um, that obviously had some issues too. He, he was kind of coaxed by again Clarence Avant. You're going to hear this name a few times. Uh, Sketchy dude, I think. Right. Who who later was like board of director of Motown, right? Like yeah. I mean, he, he literally was a somebody in the industry. Um, but apparently, he was coached. Rodriguez was coached to uh, record songs as quote unquote his brother Jesus Rodriguez. Um, but it basically, you know, was trying to usurp this contract. So anyway, so he was already, you know, he's trying to break into the business. He's probably, and again, terribly, incredibly shy guy. And he's being, unfortunately, manipulated like a pawn by, you know, the, the industry, or at least the people he's encountering in the industry. I mean, I think his first single came out in 1967 on that Detroit label I was talking about. And they made him record it as Rod, first name Rod, last name Iguez or Riguez, right? Something Rod. Like Riguez, right? Because they didn't want him to come across as a Hispanic artist, right? Because right. again, you have a lot of stereotypes even back then. So the poor guy was just like, I just want to play my music and I hate playing it live. You know, like you think about like a, a, a temporary examples like Adele, like Adele has like crippling anxiety and, you know, she's found a way to foster and, and perform live and stuff. But, you know, these artists are talented, but to be able to write good music, play in front of people consistently follow. I mean, that's hard. I mean, that's, it's, it's hard anyway. And here's this guy who's just trying to like make a run at it. He gets signed. He had everything on that first album you're looking for, for a success. And then I it think it didn't work out. It's wild. I think it's, it's a case of because of his, his, his shy nature. And he seems like a simple man. And I don't mean that in an intelligence kind of way, just a guy that doesn't need much in life. Like he, even after all his fame, he still lived in the same old rundown house in the in the 
you know, the ghettos of Detroit. But I think because of his um, his down to earth, simple nature, and and his shyness, and I even want to say maybe a little bit is of his naivety. I don't think he was ready for the machine that is the music business. Sure. And I think that's part of it. I think it kind of chewed him up a little bit, and it just. He, he fell by the wayside, I think. Well, and even it's interesting you said that about him, just like the humility piece. Because even when when the film Searching for Sugarman won Best Documentary at the 2013 Academy Awards, like he did not go. He didn't yeah. go to the uh, award ceremony. I'm sure part of it was the shyness, but he also was just like, it's a story about me, but it's not about me. And, and you know, I think that spoke to or speaks to or the humility because he wanted like the, the guys who – Literally, we're looking for him to get the praise, I think. And even, I mean, let's talk about the story being wild. Another wild piece is post, you know, he, he, he the documentary does so great. Now he's touring the States. He's getting this the, the recognition long overdue. And one of the filmmakers, the principal filmmaker, has his own issues and, you know, commits suicide, jumps in front of a train. I mean, I here's the guy. I know that. Oh, you what? didn't know that part? Oh, yeah, yeah. His name, Malik, I think was his name. And he was, yeah, yeah he... I mean, again, no, not making light of it. Look it up. Yeah, wow. He, he literally, like, here's a guy who won a best documentary yeah. Academy award. And again, I am not trying to make this about, you know, uh, like depression and real mental health issues, but it just goes like just within the fabric of this story. Wow. You know what I mean? That this guy like was part of this beautiful project in, in his life. And in you know, so Sorry, sorry to be breaking breaking the bad news. No, just wow. Well, it's interesting because like when I was hearing people talk, I didn't know that until recently either. I had heard people say, "Oh yeah, the guy who did the documentary, you know, offed himself." Really? Bebop, boobop. Looked it up in Google, and yeah, I mean, and it's a terrible tragedy, but unreal. Wow. Just another one of those. Again, you couldn't write this. No, it's wild. Well, so let's let's get back to uh, the royalties piece because. You know, I found this part fascinating. And obviously, when the documentary came out, they they had talked about his success in South Africa, but they didn't. They weren't really able to quantify it, right? Because there was there was there was differing reports of like were people bootleg because there was so many so much bootlegging of the album. They did talk about that in the documentary. So there was countless dollars that just were not realized. But the ones that were on the on the official pressings, and same thing with the Australian releases. Was it Blue Goose? Because I know you have some of them. Yeah, Blue Goose did an official release. Rodriguez never saw a dime of this. There it is. Yeah, Rodriguez never saw a dime of those royalties, right? And it doesn't matter how bad the contract he signed was. I mean, there's always, it's just standard stuff. There's some degree of percentage or whatever. So here he is. Now this documentary comes out. Now he's got this career 40 years late, and he wasn't getting any money. Even, I think, when Light in the Attic Records did the U.S. reissues? I think the first they took a run at it in 2008 before the documentary came out, and then obviously documentary comes out in like 2012. They pressed a shit ton of those. Yep, he still wasn't able to get. I, now I think Liam probably worked out something for him, but he wasn't getting his songwriting. He wasn't getting any stuff. So anyway, let's go back to this Clarence Avant guy because in the documentary, like we said earlier, he kind of poo-poos and says, "Yeah, Cold Fact only sold six copies in the states," and you know, okay, well Rodriguez. To take him to court, and guess what? He won. But as with so many other things, you're talking 2012, 2013. It wasn't until like within the last two years, two years. So he just passed away at 81. He he was just short. It was like a week before his 80th birthday. 
finally got resolution and got the royalties. And even like that number we threw out earlier, even if you're just saying it was only, and it wasn't, 500,000 records sold in South Africa. I mean, all that money. Now, hopefully he made money on the touring after the documentary. And he, you know, because it sounded like he was able to pay off his house and retire and just do music exclusively. But you actually saw him, how long ago was it? I saw him, and I want to say probably 2015, maybe 2014, something like that. And how would you, I mean, so I'm terrible at math, but late sixties, early seventies, right? I'm just ballparking it age wise. I mean, how did he sound? Early to mid seventies, maybe. Okay. And and how would you say, like, tell us about that concert. So now you've, you've seen the documentary, you've downloaded the music. You're like, Oh man, let me go check this out. He tours, you check it out. I, I heard that he was touring Southern Ontario where I live. And, um, he was playing in at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, which is the next town over. So I called my buddy Brian, the guy that introduced me to the documentary, Brian, because he was also my concert buddy. He's the guy that I used to go to concerts with all the time. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez has come to Kitchener. We got to go. So we got tickets, and it's um, it's a performing arts theater. Seats sure. uh, I don't know three thousand people, something like that. Really nice theater. Everybody plays there. So we went to see him, excited as all hell. But we were kind of like, what What? what are we going to get? And we walk in and we sit down in our seats. We had amazing seats. Um, we walk in and a huge stage. So you could fit a whole orchestra. Because sometimes orchestras play a giant stage. There's a stool and a microphone. And that's it. Mm. The opening act, it's just Rodriguez on a stool with a guitar and a microphone. And from 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 note one, just had you just had you, had you in the palm of his hand. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, was frail as all hell. Sure, he had to have like one of his daughters walk him out on stage because he was losing his eyesight and he was very frail. Sat down on that stool and was entertaining as hell. Told stories, told jokes, sang his songs beautifully. And and obviously the most sparse concert I've ever been to. It's just mm. you know one guy and a guitar. Yeah, sure. And it was incredible. Um, and I met him very briefly after the show. I'm talking like 20 seconds. We were waiting back by the stage door with about 10 other people, hoping maybe get an autograph. But yeah, we're skeptical because you know he's so frail and whatever. And sure enough, he comes out with his daughters and the you know, one on each arm and they're taking them and they just had like a, uh, an escalator or whatever, some, you know, bigger SUV. And uh, he stopped and said, hi to everybody. Obviously wasn't signing autographs, which was fine. So said hi to him. Very frail. Mm. And they just go, this <laughs> I almost had the impression like he was being dragged to do these concerts, but you could tell that he was enjoying doing them. Of course. And I just went this frail old man, just put on one of the best goddamn shows I've ever seen. It was, it was, it was great. And it was just, and they took his guitar and put it in the back of the SUV. It was him, his daughters, his guitar, and a driver in an SUV. That was the entire tour <laughs> at this 3,000 seat venue. It was just, it, it was just a surreal experience, but it was wonderful. And I'm so thankful that I got to see it. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm jealous about you on that because he never kind of he from what I tried when I tried looking up where he was playing never really came to my area here in the Midwest in the states. But 
um, played the coast a lot. And it was like one of those things like, Oh, if I'm there and he's there, I'd probably catch it. But like anything else just never happened. But um, you know, you say something interesting about the way he performed in that show, you know, it makes me think or makes me wonder, I wonder, which is one of the songs. There you go. Um, no, see what I did there? No, um, but, you know, you talk about like, man, if he'd if only he'd caught a break or two. And sometimes you think these things kind of work out the way they're supposed to, because maybe through that maturation process and, you know, like I said earlier, he. Well, all these things kind of built him up to be able to perform in a way that he could engage the crowd. He could actually be an entertainer. Whereas in 1970, when he's trying to break through guy was so shy, he couldn't even look at the audience. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. you would have liked him to be able to really enjoy some of the adoration and, 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 and admiration that he got from the South Africa and Australia, et cetera, earlier in life. But would he have been able to be that kind of experience for you in 2015? Yeah, I don't th- I, I think, Earlier success may have changed. Not, I don't think he's the type of person that would have gone to his head, but I think it may have changed the concert experience somewhat. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I am quite thankful for the experience that it was. It was, it was incredible. For sure. So, what would you say? So, I know I, I led off with how would you describe Rodriguez, Rodriguez to somebody who didn't know? Um, what would you say if 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 you could only recommend? Obviously, I think we'd agree on this. You'd recommend Cold Fact. If you're of only going to choose, you got to start with Cold Fact. Yeah. Give me like your top two, like the, the two songs that if they don't hook you, they're probably not going to hook you. I mean, the one that is, I mean, I think the no-brainer is I Wonder. Sure. Just because, again, all of his songs are relatively simple. Um, I Wonder is just kind of like this snappy sort of, it's got a the baseline is the baseline is what defines that song. Do 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 do. It just repeats itself, but you just as soon as you hear that first couple notes, you know that that's the song that it is, mm-hmm. and it's it's the it's the sing along song. Sure. And for me personally, and I've shared this story before, I have a seven year old son. But when you know when all this was starting, my son was like one, mm-hmm. and uh, you know as children that age are, they're often you know. They cry and you know whatever else and can't get them to sleep so there'd be many late night drives where we'd trying to get my son to go to sleep and the only thing that would calm him down is being in the car and listening to i wonder on repeat and that just calmed <laughs> down my my at the time one-year-old so i love that song and i think sugar man which is the song that he is you know where is is it's the opening uh, track yeah i mean it's the hook i mean the, the that's, lead off and that's the one in south africa that quite often got scratched out yes my south african first pressing is not scratched out thank goodness somehow it was able to get through escaped but sugar man is 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 about a, a drug dealer but it's it's just a great song it, it, it speaks to that um uh urban poverty you know, environment that he came from. And it's, it's just a damn good song. Yeah. I, I would agree with all those. The one I really enjoy a lot, is probably that love song, crucify your mind. I think it's the third track. It's gonna, and it's like, how do you pick two? Because the whole yeah. album is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you can listen to it start to finish and like, you know, cause you know, th- those albums that I really enjoy and I'm assuming you're the same way, Rob is they call them no skips, right? Like yep. you just put it on and, and that's, what's great about listening to it on the vinyl format is that literally side a, 
be in the room. You can do other things, of course, but like just if you just want to steady listen and you don't want to skip through, like it was almost like perfect to listen to this on vinyl. I and I would say I've flashed them before, but you know, like this was Cold Fact was one of my early grails when I really got serious about record collecting. And uh, you know, I found this online at from a shop in Miami called uh, Cold Sweat Records and in shrink. It's a beautiful copy, it's one of my signature. And most enjoyable, you know, there's that, there's that thing going around. Oh, look, there he is. That's the Australian, right? For folks that are listening to the podcast and not watching this on YouTube, Chance is a U.S. first press. I've got a South African first press. Ah, And that was my grail for a long time because in my mind, because he was mammoth in South Africa, I wanted a first pressing from South Africa. Totally get it. Yeah, I'm with you. like you, I lucked it. You can get them. You know, he sold half a million copies or more in South Africa. You can find them. <laughs> right. But to find a first press in Tough. decent shape that doesn't cost you 400 bucks, good luck. I was able to luck out on this one on Discogs. Yeah, it's got some wear to it, but it's a 50-year-old record. Right. The jacket shows like a 50-year-old record, but the record itself plays fine. So I'm happy. Yeah, now I'm with you. Now, that one was hard. I mean, my copy was... Like I said, I searched for it for a long time. And unfortunately, like we talked about before, I wasn't aware of them until 2014, let's call when, it. When everyone else became aware. When everyone else became aware. And then obviously, I'm sure the prices jumped. I mean, I, I'm assuming Discogs was probably right. I think it was, I think, a couple of years before that. But uh, even when I intentionally started looking for that album, it was already, the U.S. copy was already north of two, 300. And at that point, I'm like, how could I buy a $200 record? This is really because I'm still finding records at the thrift for 50 cents and so forth. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now it's, and I haven't even looked since he passed away. I can only imagine what they're going for now. Oh, but even coming from reality was, was a record that was the easily $100, $200 piece record. Yeah. And, and that one comes with the die cut cover. And, you know, like it's hard to find it. Mine has a little bit of a tear, but um, this has even have, has a little lip warp, but I'm like, I got a good price on it. Like I'm not going to be able to find it unless I'm sure there's better copies. There's, you see that one a lot with the promotional copy sticker on it. But anyway, and and again, this is all those things that kind of add to the allure of the story and the music and, and, and especially coinciding with our uh, pursuit of record collecting and and listening to music intentionally and all that kind of stuff. It just, it's like a a, a sweet recipe (laughs) for, for what makes a quote unquote grail, at least to me. So, uh, I would say probably maybe a year ago now, I had done a video on my YouTube channel where I'd mentioned Rodriguez in some capacity, and I don't remember what it was, but I I, don't, I couldn't tell. I mean, I made so many videos, I don't remember what it was. but Because he's a master content creator. <laughs> no, I know, no. But, you know, when you get up around 100 videos, you're like, I don't remember what I did 10 videos ago. Couldn't tell you. So I had showed Rodriguez in a video. And someone from Australia had had chimed in in the comments, and I, I loved that this person did. And he was educating me on Rodriguez fame in Australia, which, as you mentioned, is not really talked about in the documentary because that's it's that's really about the South African quest to find who was Sixto Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. So this viewer educated me on on you know he was just as famous in Australia but it never gets talked about. He toured here years before he toured South Africa and all this kind of thing. And uh, 
you know, kind of tipped me off to you want some early Rodriguez records, look for Australian pressings because no one's looking for them because no one knows about the great fame of that. And he goes, if I could recommend one for you, he goes, there's an album called Rodriguez at his best. It looks like cold fact, except it has the coming from reality picture. Yeah, it's like a mashup. Yeah, yeah. So it's a mashup. But the nice thing about this is there's three songs in here that's not on Cold Fact and not on Coming From Reality, and this is the only place you'll find them. Oh, you and this, just, this came out in you 76. Tear in front on, of my nose, Rob. <laughs> there you go, man. Um, this came out in 76 on Blue Goose, so it's an yeah, original Blue. press. And I think I got it for like 50 bucks. Mm. So they're out there. You know, yeah. dig into some of the Australian stuff. It's just as good. Yeah, well. The one well, carrot the one carrot that's impossible to find, he actually did put out a live album. Oh. I think it's just called Rodriguez Live. Okay. And I think it was recorded on the tour in South Africa. And mm-hmm. it's like eight, nine hundred bucks, thousand bucks, something like that. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna swim. That's not that. gonna happen. No, nah, I'm with you on that. That's, that's I'm gonna be content to try and find an American uh um cold fact and coming up from reality and that'll be that'll round up my rodriguez collection quite nicely well you know it's interesting and and we haven't really talked about this before but you know as we've been doing vinyl community podcast we had talked about a project about like reviewing like music documentaries and we still may do that i mean it's yeah you know, best laid plans right but right the, the first one that i was inspired by no surprise was searching for sugar man and knowing you're a Rodriguez fan too. Yep. I was like, yeah, this, this would be the perfect vehicle for that. And maybe it still will be, I mean, who knows, maybe. but, but, but I mean, it was just, it, it speaks to our shared passion for the musician and that story and all that stuff. So unfortunately <laughs> another wrinkle to the story, but uh, like you said, a, a remarkable story nonetheless has to be seen to be believed. And uh, you know, at least the music, like I think you said this on, on your live stream recently or somebody did, you know, the music will persevere and that's always yeah. a wonderful thing. And fortunately, like, you know, I, I'm assuming somehow tapes, the master tapes were saved because obviously they've repressed the hell out of this thing over and over again. So it's not like the universal fire, it was burned up and never, never to make it out yeah. again. But at the same time, you know, it stinks. I would have loved to have seen them perform, but you know, life isn't perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did say the music will persevere. So, you know, if anything, maybe, <laughs> unfortunately this was overshadowed by the passing of Robbie Robertson, who was also one of my musical idols, but sure. um, hopefully this will inspire some folks to, to revisit that documentary or dig into Rodriguez music a little bit. The light in the attic pressings are still out there. You've got the soundtrack for the movie. That's a little harder to find these days. I wish I had bought one at the time, but yeah, yeah, because I picked it up. I think for when it was going, even and this is like five or six years ago, sixty bucks. And this is probably in terms of like if you want to comp between outside of the one you would just show that Australian one. This is probably as close as you can get for a decent price because it yeah. does have songs from both albums. And yep. But anyway, well, Rob, I appreciate the time, my friend. It's always great to talk to you. I wish it was under uh, more cheerful circumstances but i also think that you know like we have a shared admiration for this artist and, and the music and it gave and, it gave me a reason to put on my rodriguez shirt today oh my gosh this guy's got a rodriguez shirt hear this listen i thought i thought i was winning the rodriguez derby with my cold fact and trank but you brought auto tricks you got the album with deep cuts secret cuts you got the t-shirt i just can't win today i got pictures of the man in person too. oh my gosh all right i better cut this off before i get a lot of uh, vinyl envy going on here anyway <laughs> Rob, Northern Revolutions, 
Always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Always. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.